took our place and He took your place so we could receive grace. And realize grace is the greatest gift that God ever gave us in the person of His Son. And so last week we talked about grace not only needs to save sinners, but He needs to save self-righteous, prideful people. Because it's a sin to be self-righteous and prideful just like it's a sin to look at pornography. Hello, somebody. And so we, we, we see that grace needs to save sinners, but grace needs to save the self-righteous, which last week, I, I know I was pretty strong last week, which was good for you. Um, last week we talked about grace needs to save uh, the self-righteous, and the reason I was so strong in teaching that is because 
said the first week, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Somebody paid for it, and it wasn't you. It was Jesus himself, because you couldn't pay for it. And that's why the grace of God is free, but it's not cheap. It's very costly, because it costs God everything to give us the grace of God. So, so God's not just giving you goodness because he's a nice God. No, he's giving you goodness because Jesus paid for him to preach you with his goodness and with his grace. Jesus paid for it. God's not just looking over your sin just because it's not a big deal. No, somebody paid for your sin. That's why he's treating you with his goodness. In the words that the Romans, he died for us yet when we were still sinners. God died for us when we were still sinners, when we were still bad people, when we, when we didn't even say we were going to serve him, when we didn't even act nice, when we didn't do anything good, when we spit on him, when we mocked him, when we were trying to do our own thing, he died for us when we were still sinners. And that's the grace of God. And we see here in this story in Luke 15, it's probably one of the most recognized stories in the Bible, Luke 15. And it talks about the story of the lost sheep first, the story of the lost coin. But then it talks about the story of the lost son. And we're going to kind of go verse by verse through this tonight, if, if that's okay with you. And notice in Luke 15, this is probably the most uh, beautiful, amazing illustration of God's grace in the entire Bible. Because at the time that Jesus came, everybody thought that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people knew what God was like, but they didn't know anything the way that God was like. Because they saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people, the preachers of their day, were so mean, were so judgmental, were, were so nothing like God. So everybody assumed that God was just like these people. And then Jesus came, who is God, and said, no, God is not anything like these religious people. He's completely different from what you guys think. So that's why he told these stories. You notice he was surrounded by religious people who were asking Jesus, why do you hang out with lost people? Why do you hang out with sinners? Why do you hang out with the shady people in town that everybody says, Christians shouldn't hang out with those people? Why do you hang out with those people? And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to tell you three stories to explain what God is really like and who he really loves and what he came to do. And so Luke 15 is probably the, the most amazing uh, passage that shares that with us. In Luke 15, a verse, let's start in verse 12. You guys still here? You guys ready to receive? Now, let me say this before we get into this. Preaching the prodigal son is like a filet mignon for a preacher. Okay? So, we're going to go verse by verse in this, but I'm going to have to leave stuff out because there's just too much in this story. Every word you could preach on in the prodigal son. For a preacher, it's like filet mignon tonight, so I'm a little excited to preach this. Um, so, verse 12, it says, And the younger then said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. So, he divided them with gladness. Pretty much the younger son, notice the prodigal son, he says, Dad, I, I know I got an inheritance coming in the future, but I, I want it right now. I, I, want, I want you to give me all the money you have for me set aside for when you pass away. I want it right now. And so you don't realize how disrespectful this was to the younger son for him to say this to his father, pretty much meaning, Dad, you're dead to me. Just give me your money. Okay, that's pretty rude. And you know what? 
church, whether you've never went to church your whole life, it says it in Isaiah 53, and even in Peter, it, it, it says that same thing, that we all were like sheep that went astray from God. We didn't go towards God. We ran away from God. We all wanted to do our own thing. And all of us in our life has done this at some point in time. Maybe some of you are still trying to do this to God. And this is what the son thought. The son thought, the younger son thought, a life without his father would be a better life than a life with his father. And that was probably the dumbest decision he ever made. You know what? Still to this day, there's so many young people making that decision. Making that decision. So many people are still making that decision today. Why? Because they have a wrong perspective and view of God. They don't understand who God is. They don't understand the goodness of God. They don't understand that He's a good Father. They think about God. They think boring, lame, hurt. He's trying to take my fun away, which is a wrong perspective. Now, people are boring. People are lame. But God's not, and His Word is not. Just because people that have taught the Word of God are lame and boring and no fun and judgmental, don't put that off on God and His Word. That's why they think, well, church is no fun and God is no fun. Why would I want to live for God when He's going to ruin all my fun? And that's what the younger son thought when it was the wrong perspective of his father in the first place. And so many young people have that. You know, I'm going to serve God in the future, but I want to do me right now. I want to do what I want to do right now. That is the dumbest decision you will ever make with your life is to try to do you apart from God. And you think it's going to be better, but we'll find out later on in the story what happens. Because he thought a life without his father would be a better life than with his father. Now, probably one of the worst mistakes he ever made. So many young people especially make that decision. They feel like a life without God would be It's a lie. It's the truth of the enemy. It's the wrong perspective. So let's look at verse 13. It's got to one verse. One verse. We're, we're one verse in here. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. Where there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And, and that word prodigal living pretty much means wasteful living. He lived wastefully. And how many know when you're living a life without God, your life is a waste. I know that's strong, but it's the truth. There is millions, dare I say, billions of people that are wasting their lives. And it's like, well, they're successful, and they're doing so much stuff for people. A life without God is a wasted life. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much education you have. I don't care if you supported the whole continent of Africa to fund wells and, and give them food. It's a wasted life. Every word of the preaching. But when he had spent all, 
what you thought was going to be fun and fulfill you is not so fun and it doesn't fulfill you. Hello, somebody. I've got a couple people who live long enough to know this, and the rest of you are still trying to figure that out. But you'll live long enough. At the ripe old age of 26, I've already figured this out. That the things that you thought were fun for a season are not as fun as you thought they would be. The things that they were thought you thought would fulfill you really don't fulfill you. They said, well, you know, if you get that car, then you'll be fulfilled. Then you get it, and you're not fulfilled. If you get this kind of house, you'll be fulfilled, and then you get it, and you're not fulfilled. If you get in the right marriage with the right person, you'll be fulfilled. And then you get in that marriage, and you appreciate it, but you're still not fulfilled. Why? Because fulfillment only comes from God, not other people. Not things. And you get the dream job you wanted, and you're still not fulfilled. Why? Because you're searching in all those things, and God is the only one who can give you that fulfillment. And you can live the, the rest of your life frustrated at these things that are only a temporary fix for an eternal problem. It's a temporary fix. It's smoking mirrors. It's not real when you get into it. Not like social media. money and, and doing whatever they want. That's the only part you see. You don't see them later on crying after that party because they're lost and they don't know what to do with their life. You don't see that. But social media doesn't portray that and the enemy doesn't want you to see that because then you won't mess up your life like they did. And we see that there will be a time in your life and some of you have come to it already or you will come to it that what you thought would fulfill you won't fulfill you. And he thought a life without his father would fulfill him. And notice he said, there came a famine, and he spent all his money, and he began to be in want. You know, the Word of God says in Hebrews, sin is fun for a season. So this old mindset that a lot of church people have that it's like, you don't need to sin, it's not fun. No, what the heck? Sin is fun. For a season, you wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't fun. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin is fun for a season. And, and that's what, you know, he had a good season there. A party with, with all these girls. He had all the money. He was in Las Vegas. He was the man. But eventually, his money ran out, meaning his women ran out. Hello, somebody. And so, eventually, he had nothing left. And he realized, it didn't satisfy me. And I'm going to want it. Why? Because it was fun for a season without his dad. It was fun. It was a party. But eventually that season will run out. And I'm just telling every one of you in here, whether you, you've experienced this or not, don't even try to experience this because there will be a season and then it will run out and you'll be in want. And those says he began to be in want. Why? Because you're looking for a temporary fix. Thank you. 
noticed he couldn't even eat pig's food. That's how far the sin took him. And I told you earlier, take, the sin will take you further than you want to go. You, he would have never thought that leaving his father's house with, with all this money, thinking he was going to do his own thing, he was going to be his own boss, and he knew better than his dad. He never thought he was going to end up wanting to eat pig's food and nobody would even give him anything. And that's how far the sin will take you if you bite on the lies of the enemy. But you know, sometimes people have to get there to wake up. They shouldn't have to, but sometimes people have to get there to come to themselves. Now, it could have been avoided, but a lot of people are so stubborn, they gotta, they got to run headfirst into that brick wall for them to figure out that they were wrong and God was right the whole time. The best thing you can understand at a young, young age is you're wrong and God's right. All the time. When you think you know better than God, you don't. Let me just, let me just say that to you. I know you feel like because you went to college for a few years that you're the most brilliant person and you're smarter than your parents and you're smarter than your grandparents. Grow up, for goodness sake. You're not that smart. And you're especially not smarter than God. Because He knows everything about everything. You notice in verse 17. Now this is, this is like a preaching um, speech right here because it, of course, starts out with, but we need that. Because you know God's but is bigger than your but. We, we know that. But the but in the Bible, <laughs> if I can say that, um, they mean a lot because always when the story's going one direction and then God butts into the story and then the story goes the complete opposite direction. So it's, it's good but when God butts in to your situation. In verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise, go to my father's house, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But notice it says, when he came to himself. When he came to himself. Now, when he came to himself, it's, it's really like the end point of the story where everything changes because he was going the wrong direction. He was doing the wrong things. He hit rock bottom, but he was still being stubborn and prideful. But then eventually he came to himself and wisened up. But notice what he said and what made him come to himself. It was the goodness of his dad that made him change. And Romans says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. It's the goodness of God that makes people want to change. It's the goodness of God that makes people want to turn their life around. Not the judgment of God, not the fear of God, uh, not the harshness of God, not the anger of God. It's the goodness of God and the grace of God that causes people to want to change their life. You know why so many people are not changing when they come to church? It's because they're not preaching grace, they're preaching religion. That's why nobody cares and nobody's lives are being changed. Because the goodness of God that brings people and it says he came to himself. You know what happened? He remembered the goodness of his dad. 
how well his dad treated him. He said, this is ridiculous. We need to go back to dad's house. At least the servants eat better than I eat. They, they dress better than I dress. They have a better life than I have. Even the servants are the slaves of my father. So he came to himself. And those in verse 19, he, he, he's writing his case to his dad about how sorry he is. In verse 19, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Notice that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now we've been talking about grace and, and realize grace is unearned, unmerited favor and blessings of God. So, it was never about the son being worthy to be a son. He was always worthy because he was a son. <laughs> and realized he was a son by birth, not by work. He was born into this. And that's the same thing with us. We're not worthy to God because of our words or what we do for Him. We're worthy to God because we've been born into the kingdom of God and we're His children. And the Bible says in John 1, it says that Jesus gave us the privilege and the power to become the children of God. Jesus made you worthy to be a son, to be a daughter of God. Jesus made you that. You didn't earn that. You didn't work for that. You didn't achieve that. You just received that because Jesus made you worthy to be called a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. Jesus made you worthy. But notice his mentality. I'm no longer worthy. I don't deserve it. But it wasn't based on his worth. It was based on his birth because he was a son of his father. Now, in verse 20, get the thing and I'm going to go home. Verse 20, it says, He arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. No, it's not angry. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. But notice it said, He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off. And the reason I wanted to title this Grace When You're Still a Great Way Off because the closest we can ever get to God is a great way off. Apart from His goodness, apart from His grace, all our good works, all our church attendance, all our tithes and offerings, all our being nice to people can only get us a great way off to God. Because if we're to be saved, says, you need to get to know God. That's what religion says. And that's why a lot of religious people are so uptight. Because they never get there. And it's a constant struggle their whole life because they feel like, I need to get to God. I need to do better. I need to try harder. I need to give more. I need, I need to serve more. I need to be nicer to people so I can get to God. But you can never get to God by yourself. And that's why it says, when he was a great way off, Father ran to him. And notice, religion and the gospel are completely different because the gospel or grace says God ran to you when you couldn't run to him. So God
after us. God embraces us. Us. God changes us when we can't get to Him. When we're still a far way off, the grace of God comes to take us and make us sons in right standing with the Father. And though it says He arose and came to His Father, but when He was still a great way off, His Father saw Him, had compassion on Him, and ran and fell on His neck and kissed Him. Another kind of side note to this that during that period of time, Middle Eastern men did not run whatsoever. Especially a Middle Eastern man with a lot of money and wealth like this father. They don't run. Till the day in the Middle East, they don't run because it's undignified to just be running around. So a man like that knows what he did. He didn't care if he was undignified or what people thought about him. He just loved his son and was wanting to welcome his son back into the family. And most of us would say in this story, especially the religious people when they would hear this, they thought, hey, I know what's coming. This father, he's going to run to him. He's going to punch him out. He's going to kick him. He's going to yell at him and say, what the heck have you been doing, son? You wasted all my money. You've been living crazy. You made me look bad. You made your mom look bad. You made your brother look bad. Why? Because that's what religion says. But that's not what God says. That's why so many people can't handle stories like this because it's totally different than the way we think as humans. Because we're thinking, well, he deserved to get yelled at. He deserved to get beat up. He deserved to have his father just rebuke him and cuss him out and beat him up. But no, his father came to him and had compassion on him and kissed him. And notice in verse 21 it says, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet. But notice that he, he tried to give that same speech to his father. And his father didn't listen to him. I was thinking about this the other day. Think about how many times in your life even since you've been saved, you've come to God with this kind of prayer. Think about what God would think of you if you're saying that. Because I've said stuff like that to God. Think about how many times we've said prayers like this to God after we've messed up and done something dumb. And God's not even listening. Because He's saying, Hey, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. It's okay. It's okay. I love you. I'm here for, for you. It's not like I'm going to say, okay, well, you did that. Now, now you're a servant and a slave. You're not a son and daughter anymore. No, God doesn't roll like that because you're a child of His. You just think that next time you mess up, and I'm not prophesying that into your future, that you're going to mess up and you're going to do something dumb. But if you do, remember this prayer next time when you're thinking about praying something like this to God because it sounds so righteous and holy to say that to God. And God says, shut up. You're not worthy because anything you did, you're worthy because 
So he covers you with himself. And the Word of God says that he gives you a robe of righteousness. He takes your sin, rags, and he covers you with his righteousness. That's what God does to you. He also says he gave him a ring, which we know ring stands for authority. Because when a son or a daughter in that day had their father's ring, it was pretty much like his credit card. So whatever the ring pays for, you can get. So unlimited. If they know who your dad is, you can just put the ring down and you can get whatever you want. So he gave him his ring. And then he gave him a pair of sandals. Now the significance of, of sandals is because in that day, uh, servants and slaves were barefoot, but only sons and daughters in the house wore shoes. Now you on here. They wore shoes. So it's significant, once again, he's not just giving him random gifts like, hey, son, I think I got something in the closet here. Let me see what I can find. Uh, yeah, I haven't worn this robe in a long time. You could probably have that. I got the old ring I got out of the ring pop machine a while back. I could probably show you that. And I got a pair of just old shoes that are messed up. You could, no, he, he gave him the best of everything. And it's significant, all these items that the father gave were super significant, but notice he gave him sandals for his feet because only sons wear shoes in the house. And that's how significant he was. He didn't want his son to feel like a servant or like a slave or like he, he thought less of him now. He gave him proper respect in the place where he belonged as a son. Verse 23, he says, Bring the fattest calf here and kill it. Let's be merry. For this my son who was dead is alive again. He who was lost is found. And they began to be married. In verse 25, it says, And his older son, who was in the field, came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What does this mean? And they said, Your brother has come and is received safe and sound, and your father has killed the fattest knows he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father pleaded and came out with him. And he said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been with you. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time, and you have never even given me a young goat that I might make marry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours has come, he has devoured your livelihood with the harvest. You killed the fattest cow for him. In verse 31, he said to his son, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Verse 32, it was right that we should be merry and be glad, for your brother who was dead is alive again, and he who was lost is found. Now, as we kind of close tonight and wrap things up, I just want to share a couple things with you in talking about this story of the prodigal son grace when you're still far away off. And I told the story not so much that a lot of you are in the prodigal son situation right now. I mean, somebody might be in here. But so you avoid the prodigal son situation. <laughs> Completely. You don't have to go through any of that. But if you do, you know where home is. You know what the father thinks about you. You know how much the Father loves you. And I love this story because it's completely different than all the religious people of Israel. 
was thinking, we need to get some more people with issues in our church. in here 
a lie. It's a trick. Like I said at the beginning, it's a trick. It's smoke and mirrors. It's social media. It's highlight reel. It's nothing behind the scenes. We don't know what's going on in their lives. They realize this son was in the house the whole time, but he wasn't experiencing any of the goodness of his father. You can sit in church your whole life and not be experiencing this good life that God has prepared for you ahead of time. This joy, this peace, this abundance because you have a bad attitude in God's house. When all he has is already yours, if you got to receive it. Because you're already in the house. Never take that for granted that you've been raised up in the house. Because all that he has is already yours. And the more you realize that and receive that, you'll become a confident, secure believer. So then when people talk to you outside of the church, they talk to you in the world, you're not shaken. You're not envious of them. Like, oh my gosh, i got to go to church, but I really wish I was hanging out with those guys. No, you're not like that anymore. You become secure. You become confident. You become stable in God's house because you've already found everything because all He has is already yours. And you're experiencing it. Anything tonight? 